Following last week's sermon, a few people contacted me and thanked me for the message. And and for some folk, I, th- I think it struck a chord and it helped them to recognise what idolatry is and that it's in our churches today. Uh, the temptation to worship a false image of God or, a G- or to worship a Jesus of our own making. So thanks for the feedback. Uh, but I am going to say that Uh, For me, as a Bible teacher, at about this point, I'm really feeling that I'm ready to move on from 2 Corinthians. Um, We've been in it for a while now, um, and we're nearly finished it, so it's going to happen soon in the the next couple of weeks. But the reason that I want to move on is is I feel like, like nearly every week, the reading has been about false teachers. It's been about their attraction, about their seduction, about the popularity of them and the chaos and the destruction that they cause within a church. And yet we're also seeing the readiness at which they are received. And it just keeps on coming. And I don't want to sound like a cracked record. Um, Now, as I wrote this message, it, it dawned on me that anybody under 40... Uh, probably has no idea what a cracked record is. Or if they do, they've probably never seen one or never heard one. So let me explain. A record is just like an ancient version of an album that you might buy off of iTunes or Spotify or whatever other music um, app that you use. Um, And a record player is just like a smartphone, only... They're nothing alike. Right, so back in the old days, music was recorded on vinyl. It was analogue, so it was either cut or imprinted onto vinyl. Now, a record creates a sound as the needle follows the groove. Well, actually, the needle stays still and the record record spins and it follows the groove and the needle vibrates in the pockets and the ridges within the groove. By the way, here's a little mathematical problem for you. On one side of an LP record, and let's pick a number over there, let's say it runs for 20 minutes, Can anyone tell me how many grooves are on one side of an LP record that that side runs for 20 minutes? Right Now, some of you are quickly working this out because an LP record spins at 33 and a third RPM, okay? And it's going to be 20 minutes, so we're doing the calculations just under 667. And then you think, now, is that the grooves on one side or the other side of the centre? But no, the answer is wrong. There's only one groove, right? It just spirals its way in to the centre. One groove. Now, back in the day, you had to really look after your records. Um, By the way, this is my mum and dad had records. I never had any records of my own. I was too young for that. Um, But you had to really look after your records because you couldn't download them again if they went and got corrupted. A a vinyl disc, you see, was, was very fragile. It could be cracked or it could be scratched. And when the needle would would hit a a crack or a scratch, rather than following the groove, it it would jump. And sometimes it would jump forward a long way, but usually it would jump back, jump back to where it was. Um, 
And so your song might go some. So your disc is spinning. Your 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 your, your record is spinning, and the and the needle is sitting in the groove. And when it gets to the gr- scratch, it jumps back, and so it plays that little bit again. And then it, when it gets around again, it jumps back again. And so your song might sound a little bit like this. Amazing grace, how, 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 how. All right, so it sort of sounds something a bit like that. You get the picture. And I don't, and that's where the saying obviously comes from, like a cracked record, or I think scratches were more common than cracks. Um, and... I don't want to sound like a cracked record. I don't want to sound like I'm just telling you the same thing over and over again. And you, some of you are saying, well, move on then. We, we've got the point. Okay. Right. And I don't think that Paul wants to be a cracked record either. And I reckon we can see his frustration coming through in today's reading. And he's, having to, and, and he's frustrated that he's having to say the things that he is saying. At one point he says, you drove me to it. But you know what I'm realising? Paul wasn't a cracked record. And his message wasn't at all about watch out for those false teachers. That wasn't his passion. His passion was the gospel. His passion is for truth. His passion is for Jesus Christ and, and for the salvation that we find in him. And I'm going to continue to use the image of, of a record. He keeps coming back around to it. He keeps coming back around to keep the message to be about Jesus Christ. But then he has to give a message to watch out for falsehood. And so we're sort of coming around and telling the truth and now guard against lies. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch out for the false gospel. Here's the truth. Guard against lies. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guard against the false gospel. And, and all the way in, he's working his way into the middle. And what's his aim in the middle? What's his goal at the centre? Well, his aim isn't to big note himself. His goal is to build the Corinthian church up in Christ. And that's what our goal should be today, for the church to be built up in Christ. And sometimes we have to hear warnings and we have to take corrections for that to be so. And I believe that, that the Lord ensured that, that letters like 2 Corinthians survived the millennia and are recorded in our Bibles today, not so that we can skip over them and to get to the little bits that we like to read, but they're there for our instruction, they're there for our encouragement, and they're there for, for the for our formation into the disciples of Jesus Christ that God wants us to be. They're there for, for building us up in Christ. Righto. So having said all that, um, I'm going to actually do things a little bit differently today. Uh, we usually start out the reading, so, sorry, we usually start out by having the reading and then I explain it. Uh, but most of the message today is the Bible reading. Uh, what Paul says in today's reading, um, I feel that it comes across as being very personal. Now, you know how some of us are thinkers and some of us are feelers, right? We process stuff differently. And so I might say to somebody, oh, 
what do you think about such and such? And and, and you might be a thinker and, and you just come up with an answer like that. Oh, yeah, well, this is what I think. But but if I say to you, well, what do you feel about this? And you, you go, well, what do you mean what do I feel about that? I, I don't feel anything about it. Ask me what I think about it. Um, whereas some people feel stuff and then, then they don't, but then you, you ask them, well, what do you think about this? Well, I haven't thought about it at all. Well, why haven't you thought about it? Well, I just feel this. You see, we process stuff differently. And so thinkers have to try sometimes really hard. I'm a thinker, by the way. Um, thinkers have to try really hard to engage with the emotions and feel stuff. And likewise, people who are more inclined to feel stuff, uh, it's very important for them to engage their mind and actually learn stuff as well. Okay? Um, but what Paul is saying here, it comes across as being really personal. And, and we need to engage with the feelings of Paul to really get a, get the picture of what's going on here. I think the best way to do that is to spend most of the time in the Word. And at times, Paul is going to appear to be boasting. At times, it's going to seem like he's gone crazy. Uh, he even uses sarcasm a bit and in quite a cutting sort of a way as well. Uh, but what he's doing is he is playing the fool to make a point. And as I said in the introduction last week, in chapters 11 and 12 of this letter, which we're going to be reading today, um, there are in those two chapters, there are two key words that keep on coming up. Fool, foolish, foolishness comes up eight times. Or boast, boasting, boasted or boastful comes up 15 times. And the argument that Paul is making is not to boast in ourselves. That, that's just utter foolishness. And he actually does a little bit of boasting to demonstrate the foolishness. And he's coming from the angle that that the um, the false teachers there in Corinth had been big-noting themselves, boasting, and now he's sort of... And the Corinthians had really taken notice of them, been moved by them. Wow, those are great guys. And now Paul is just showing how foolish boasting actually is. Righto. So let's just read it. And I'm just going to stop at certain points as we go. And I'm actually going to, to begin at the beginning of chapter 11. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? 
because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. He's, he's given a bit of sarcasm here, isn't he? Righto. So the false apostles had been big note themselves and they'd been taking advantage of the Corinthians. And because Paul wasn't into self-promotion, he, he's been getting portrayed as, as being weak or inferior. Let's continue. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposed. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Wow, he is talking like a bit of a madman here, isn't he? Now, what is there for him to boast about? 
He's covered a bit of ground here. That religious heritage. Now, some of these sorts of things, they're really good things. But they're not things that we should boast about. And what an amazing advantage it is to have a religious heritage. Uh, you know, where, where, where your parents were Christians and maybe your grandparents and maybe your great-grandparents. And some of us can track, track our family heritage back and, and, and know that they are men and women of faith. And that's been a tremendous blessing. And I know for me it was a tremendous blessing that, that my parents and my grandparents were Christians. But this is no advantage to me unless I come to Christ. Many people today have a religious heritage, but they despise their religious heritage. They don't value it at all. They might go, oh yeah, that's part of my DNA, that's part of, part of who I am. But they're not committed to Christ themselves. And the false apostles, well, they had a pretty strong religious heritage. They had the Jewish upbringing, but Paul had a better one. Paul had been trained as a Pharisee. He didn't say that here, but we know that he was. And so he trumped them on that one. What about servanthood? Is being a good servant for God um, something that we should boast about? Well, if we're going to boast about servanthood, uh, we'd better know what it means. Um, Paul very securely links servanthood with suffering, that, that the two go hand in hand. And if Christ is the suffering servant, why wouldn't the servants of the suffering servant also suffer? And this is what Jesus told us to expect. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to forsake everything to follow me. And he told us that there's going to be dangers. He told us that we'll probably even die or be killed. And my, how that flies in the face of the prosperity gospel that is so commonly preached today. You know, that prosperity gospel that tells you, you know, come to Jesus and everything will be good. Jesus wants you to prosper. He wants you to do well financially and, and he wants to, to, to save you from every trouble and, and every disease. And Well, yes, he will, but that's, that's in the life to come. It's a false gospel. But you know what? Nor is it a competition to see who suffers the most for Christ. Let's continue. If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under, under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on now to, to visions and revelations of the Lord. Right up. We're getting into a whole new area here. Um, he, he's made the point here... Um, that there's nothing to be gained by boasting. Now, something which people like to share, but it's also something which we sometimes covet. Now, we're not supposed to covet, are we? 
And you don't have to go away and think about that. It, we're not supposed to covet, are we? The answer is no, we're not supposed to covet. But you, you, do you know what is commonly coveted within the church? Spiritual experience. We covet it and we honour it. And a good story of, of a spiritual experience, uh, it sells, literally. Um, so, for example, many people marvel at, at the book and now movie about, about a four-year-old boy who claimed that during his surgery he had a vision of heaven. And apparently that movie grossed $101 million US dollars. Now, I don't know whether that story was real or whether it wasn't. I haven't read it and I don't want to go into it now. But the point that I'm making is I've heard people marvel at it. And those books have just been snatched up off the shelves and people just lapping it up. There. Oh, the spiritual experience that this boy had had. And, and isn't this common? Um, I want you to forget about that one for now. Think about somebody who, who you've had come to church and share a, 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 an experience with you and they've told you of, of something amazing that God has done. And um, don't we marvel at, at what the Lord has done for such a person? And sometimes we might put the person up on a bit of a pedestal. You know, If somebody has a bit of a spiritual encounter or a spiritual revelation or if they've had a, a vision and they share that with us, and oh, for them to have experienced that, you know, and to have experienced the Spirit in that way, that must be an amazing Christian, that person. And, and they also seem to get given a lot more credibility than what we would normally give to anybody. Um, and sometimes people get given more credibility than what we give the Scriptures. But you know what? Paul had some amazing spiritual experiences. And I think that most of the time he kept it to himself. Now in the New Testament, I can think of two times, um, and the two people were John and Paul. And they both record their experience of being taken, maybe in the spirit, to paradise, to heaven. But how does Paul describe it? Well, he's making it really clear that this is nothing for him to boast about. And it seems that it wasn't his practice to talk about it. It happened quite some time ago. Um, and yet this is the only place in all of his letters and all of his writings where we actually read it. Now, we get to hear his testimony many times. Um, in the book of Acts, it comes up a few times. This is the only place that we hear about this. And some of the things that Paul said he, he couldn't even repeat. They're too great for our ears. So, let's go on. Verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. All right, now, now Paul is talking about himself here in the third person. He, he's making the point 
that spiritual experience isn't something to be boasted about. And it's not supposed to be a marketing tool. It's not supposed to be a marketing tool for making money. And it's not supposed to be a marketing tool even for preaching the gospel. And so he doesn't want to be the one boasting. But unless he tells these Corinthians about his experience of being taken to paradise, then they're just going to continue to believe that, oh, maybe Paul is just a bit jealous of those other people, right? Because those other people have had such amazing experiences. We've heard their spiritual experiences that they've had. And poor old Paul, he must just be a bit jealous, eh? And so Paul is needing to tell them this, but he doesn't want to be boasting about it about himself, and so he speaks in the third person. He, he tells his story as if it's about somebody else. He says, verse 5, On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. All right? This is how Paul wants his credibility to be judged. Not on his eloquence, not on his heritage, not on his servanthood or the suffering that he's done for Jesus, and not even on his own personal spiritual experience. How does Paul want his credibility as a preacher of the gospel to be judged? Well, he said, even though he'd be telling the truth, if he boasted of such things, he says, but I'll refrain from doing that, so that no one may think more of me then he sees in me or hears from me. And now we're getting to the crux of it. In this great big long diatribe about the integrity or lack thereof of those who were preaching in this church, here's what Paul is saying we should be looking for. And I'm going to summarize it as the fruit of the Spirit and preaching the truth. Right, So earlier, he used the, the phrase, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And now he's saying, what you see in me and what you hear from me. And, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. This is what Jesus told us to, to look out for. Um, how do we tell a false teacher from a godly teacher? By their fruit. And the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Are these people living godly lives? Is the presence of the Holy Spirit evident in their life? Not in, in the form of spiritual gifts or marvels, right? You know, sometimes a lot of people, oh, I want to look, is this person filled with the Spirit? Well, uh, and, and we look for, oh, what are the amazing things that they could do? No, that's not how you tell. The way you tell if someone is filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit growing in their life. And the fruit of the Spirit are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What you see in me, do you see godliness in me? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in me? And what you hear from me. The second way that we judge a teacher is the content of what they teach. And let me tell you, some of the most popular Bible teachers in the world today are preaching to some of the biggest and flashiest congregations. The content of their message is absolutely abominable. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What you see in me, do you see godliness? And what you hear from me, are you hearing the gospel? Is it the true gospel? Is it the pure gospel? Or is it something that I've adjusted a bit? Or something that I've made a little bit more palatable? Or something that I've made a little bit, I think it'll be a bit more relevant for people today. Am I teaching the same old pure, pure, wonderful gospel? Verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, ever since I was a young lad, reading, first started reading my Bible for myself, and just reading my way through the New Testament and then adding the Old Testament to it as well. I've always wanted to know what this thorn in the flesh was for Paul. What was it? And I still want to know. You know, many people have speculated, was it a physical disability? Was it a speech impediment of some kind? Or was it a psychological condition he had? Or, or was it a sin that kept rearing its ugly head that he couldn't seem to shake? Or, or was it the false teachers that he had to always put up with? The truth is we don't know. You know, I've, I've heard people give explanations and go, oh, this is what the thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. We're not told and we shouldn't be trying to guess. But what we do know is that there was one particular thing that really grated on Paul and it hampered him and it left him feeling, I'm not a very good servant of God. At least I'm not as good as what I should be. This, this thing that is harassing me, it's just holding me back. And he recognized that it wasn't from God but that it was from Satan. He, he prayed for it to be removed. God, take this thing away from me, please. And you know what? His prayer was answered eventually. He prayed twice 
and he got no answer. But the third time he prayed, he did get an answer. It just wasn't the one that he was looking for. Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to take it away from you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, that's a pretty good lesson for us when it comes to prayer. Pray continually. Keep praying and keep praying until you get an answer. Be willing to receive the answer, even if the answer is no. Yeah, a lot of teaching that gets given on on prayer today tends to put us in the place of God where we decide what we want and we pray for it and we keep on praying for it and, and we somehow believe it into existence. But the correct way to pray is in the attitude that God is sovereign. Lord, this is what I'm asking for. If it is your will, please do it. And yet not my will, Lord. Your will be done. But not only is it a lesson on prayer, it also helps us to realise why we don't all instantly become superhuman pitches of perfection. Um, I, I know some of you are, but I'm not. Okay. Uh, but, but why are we still weak? Why do we continue to get sick? Yeah, we, we mightn't be the most wonderful physical specimens. Sometimes we get tempted by sin and we aren't successful in repelling that temptation. I know sometimes we put our foot in our mouths and say the wrong thing and hurt people. Why does this happen? Why does this continue? Well, two reasons. Firstly, so that we don't become conceited and, ooh, look how wonderful I am. And secondly, because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. I want to use Samson as an example here. You know what? Um, whenever, whenever I see in, in a kid's Bible or something a picture of Samson, how do we draw him? Great big muscly guy. Well, that actually denies the whole reason for Samson's strength. See, he wasn't super strong because of his muscles. He's super strong because of what God did. Samson was actually quite weak. And it was only the power of God that was strong. And it's the same for us. We're actually quite weak and it's only the power of God that is strong. But for me, all oh, those words, I, I cannot tell you the number of times that when, when I personally have felt an absolute failure for Jesus, that sin that I've committed yet again, or the opportunity that I had to share Christ with somebody and I didn't, or the time when I've tried to be funny and what came out of my mouth was utterly cringeworthy, and my wife nearly died of embarrassment. The time when, when I might argue a point and, 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 and put forward a really strong argument and cut the other person down and then later on realise that I was wrong. Or the many times when I just feel that I've failed Jesus. 
But then those words that Jesus spoke to Paul echo in my ears. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And, and I hear those words and, and I know that I've got the strength to continue on. Um, because it's not my strength, it's the strength of God. And, and the way that I experience the power of God is, is the Lord doing his amazing, pure, saving work through the broken. Because I am the broken. Sometimes I'm a complete mess, but God's grace is enough for me. Now, I'm, I'm not saved by go, doing good stuff for Jesus and because I've never failed him. I'm saved by his grace. And his power is demonstrated in my weakness. Are you hearing me? You know what I'm talking about here because you've felt it, haven't you? You know this. You've experienced it. God's grace is sufficient for you. You don't have to be that perfect person to be able to come to Jesus. You know, a lot of people, they sort of, they might, you might be somebody right now who's feeling drawn to Jesus. You don't know why because that's not you. Why would, why would I be getting drawn to Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit starts tugging at our heartstrings and he's drawing us to himself. But sometimes when that happens, it's like, ah, but I'm, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. It's not about being good enough. God's grace is sufficient for you just as God's grace is sufficient for me. And then he's the one who perfects us. But that doesn't mean that we, we let our weaknesses be an excuse for us to go on sinning. Let's continue. Verse 11. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favoured than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Oh, there's some more sarcasm. Verse 14, here for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, Am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit? Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him, 
Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practised. Right, well, that's where we're going to leave the reading. Right throughout this letter, we can see where Paul's been defending himself. Sort of like on that turntable, he's defending himself, he's comparing himself with the false apostles, and then he's pointing them towards Jesus. Defending himself, comparing himself to the other apostles, the false apostles, and then pointing them towards Jesus over and over and over again. And he knows what it sounds like. He knows that it's been coming across as if he's defending himself. But, but the defense of himself was, was a mere side issue. What he's been doing is defending the gospel that he preaches. He's been speaking in Christ and he's been doing it for their upbuilding. And that's the danger with false teachers. The true gospel gets forgotten. Those Corinthians, they'd been getting led astray into all sorts of sin and immorality. We saw the sort of that was one messed up church. Like we we saw the sort of stuff that that they were into when we studied the first letter to the Corinthians: sexual immorality, sexual immorality, incest, pride, selfishness, envy, slander. That church was a right royal mess, and Paul's concern was for them to get right with Christ. Back in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 11, he told them that he has this divine jealousy for them. We we talked about this last week. And and he wants to be able to present them as the pure virgin to Christ. He says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what he's trying to get them back to. Now, here's my hope and my prayer for you. And my hope and my prayer for myself as well, by the way. Is that our thoughts would not be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that when Jesus returns, we will be that pure bride that he's returning to claim. That's been Paul's concern for the church. That should be our concern for the church.
And this is why we don't just skip over these bits of the letter, even though we've heard it, we feel like we've heard it before. It's important that we learn this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that your strength is demonstrated in our weakness. Lord, even though we are weak, you are strong. Even though we fall, you pick us up. Even though we fail, you endure and are faithful. Lord, we repent of times um, when we've been enticed by a false gospel. And we are sorry for the times when we may have even preached a, a false image of Jesus. God, forgive us. Lord, we are sorry for taking pride in ourselves or for taking pride in our own spiritual experience that we've enjoyed. And forgive us for when we put other men or other women up on a pedestal because of their testimony. And Lord, may we never boast in anything other than you. You are great. You are powerful. You are all loving. You are all forgiving. You are completely just and completely trustworthy and true. And we praise you, our Lord. Amen.